Romans 11, verses 25 through 32. This is the word of the Lord. Lest you be wise in your own conceit, I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies of God for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake for the sake of their forefathers. For the gift and the calling of God are irrevocable. Just as you were at once or one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience. So they too have now been disobedient in order that by mercy shown to you, they may also now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. As children, we tend to ask lots of questions. We grow up, we want to know how things work. We ask the question over and over again, why? 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 Josiah has learned that word. I am tired of that word. Josiah, stop. Why? Because I said so. Why? Why? I find as, a, as we get older, it doesn't change. From the youngest to the oldest, we're always asking this question, why? My children ask the most random questions. I'm taking Ashton to, on Tuesday to gymnastics, sitting in a car. Why are Christmas colors red and green? I don't know, Ashton. I don't know why Christmas colors are red and green. I don't know why everything is that. I don't know what it is about being a child and your parent. You think they know everything about everything. I should be able to ask and you should be able to tell. But there is things to me that at times are a mystery. I don't know. And this is the reality of many, many things. There's always going to be things that are mysteries to us. What my wife is thinking at any given time is a mystery to me. (laughs) But there are some things that don't have to be mysteries. There is ways we can get knowledge. It's available to us. We just have to seek it. We just have to have someone give it to us. For example, the Christmas colors are green and red because, as Wikipedia tells me, Green represented the evergreen bushes. Pine trees were also used in something called the uh, paradise tree. Apples were placed upon that tree. Uh, Holly berries are another reason red is is a part of the Christmas colors. There's a question of knowledge being sought, and it was answered as I sought out that information. We can find information, certain information, if we go and seek it. Paul here at the as we come to the conclusion of chapter 11, is bringing his argument, as it were, to a climax. Israel has stumbled, yes, but they have not fallen. 
And Israel's stumbling is but the first act for them, in a sense, in this grand process of redemption, of the unfolding of salvation. And Paul, once again for us, is going to rehearse this drama for us. But this time he introduces it to us as a mystery. I want you to understand this mystery. He's going to tell them once again about the restoration of Israel. In what way will they be saved? And he's going to point to many different things to reveal this mystery. It's confirmed by scripture. It's rooted in God's unswerving faithfulness to his promises and to election. It manifests God's impartiality to all people as the capstone of salvation history. Paul is making an effort to resolve the tension between God's current conflicting relationship with Israel and the irrevocable, as he says, promises of God. So as we come and we see this this morning, as Paul tries to resolve this tension for us, we will have two points. The first is the mystery of Israel, and second is the mystery of salvation. The mystery of Israel and the mystery of salvation. Paul in verse 25 is really connecting with what he's already said. And it's been several weeks since we uh, looked at this. But if you remember, Paul had talked about the tree, this olive tree, and how the wild branch, the Gentiles, were grafted in. But he had hope that the natural branch, that was Israel, would be grafted back in. And this is what that lest you be wise in your own conceit, this is what Paul is connecting that to. Paul has been given the knowledge of the mystery that is before us. This is a technical term. Uh, this is the, something being revealed to Paul through uh, many different ways, through the study of the Old Testament, through his understanding of the gospel, through the unveiling work of the Spirit. This is a mystery that has been revealed to him, and he does not want Israel, or excuse me, the Gentiles to be wise in their own conceit. It's a great sentence if you stop to think about it for a second, because it's a contradictory sentence, isn't it? I don't want you to be wise in your own conceit. It's almost a you're not really wise at all, in essence, he's saying it's a contradiction. I don't want you to be wise in your own conceit because you don't really understand what's going on here. This mystery, Paul reveals in kind of three separate points. There's a hardening that comes on Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. And through this, all Israel will be saved. Paul is saying that in some way there's a set number of Gentiles that will come in, this fullness. We don't know what that number is. But when that number has been received, Israel's hardening will be removed. The manner of Israel's salvation is unmerited. God imposes the hardening on most of Israel, as we've seen. The Gentiles, in turn, have their share and receive salvation. This led, as we saw, to jealousy in Israel and her 
than to her own eventual salvation. Paul here is rebuking, at first, the Gentiles. The Gentiles who think they have exclusive right as now the people of God. But there's something interesting that Paul says here. What does he mean when he says, and so all Israel will be saved? Does he mean literally all Israel will be saved? No, this is contradictory to what he's already said. What Paul is talking about here is a corporate entity. He's not talking about every single individual Israelite. He's talking about the nation of Israel. In the same way as in the Old Testament we see, he talks about Israel. There's a corporate sense in which he refers to them. But then there's an individual sense. Israel here, as he talks about it, is the corporate sense. God chose Israel corporately to be the people of God. That does not mean that he elected every single one of the individuals in Israel. But God's certainly, as we see here, not done with Israel. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. The nation, the corporate body, will be restored. Her present situation was not the end for her. We know as Paul is speaking, there are some, and he already had said this, there's some who are being the remnant who are being brought in. But this is going to come in a greater way. Paul is reminding us that there is only one tree. And we are all grafted into that one tree. And this happens by faith. It is a faith that is tied to Jesus through his redemptive victory. Through the restoration that comes to the cross. It comes for both Jew and for Gentile. So how does Paul show us this? Well, he points to the Old Testament. Both passages we see here in verse the second half of 26 and the first part of 27, or all of 27, I should say, come from Isaiah. The first one comes from Isaiah 59. The second one comes from Isaiah 27. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. Uh, Paul is tying this deliverer here, in, uh, as he quotes it here in Romans, to the deliverer of the Old Testament. And he's saying the same deliverer for both is Jesus Christ. It is Jesus who will restore Israel. He is Redeemer. Isaiah 29, or 27 verse 9 and 27 here. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. God once again is saying he's going to take away the sins of Israel Yes, this is an Old Testament passage, but it's still going on. It still has its ultimate conclusion. By Israel's acceptance of the gospel message about forgiveness of sins in Christ, they will be delivered. Okay. So what do we have to do with Israel? What point is there for us here today? 
Because there's a sense in which we can stop here and go, okay, well, I can rationally make sense of what you're saying. Uh, God is not done with Israel. Maybe we don't know how all the ins and outs of that are going to work. We certainly don't know the time and frame in which that's going to work. But we, we do know here that Paul says, okay, God's not done with Israel. When the fullness of the Gentiles have come in, all, in this way, all Israel will be saved. What are we to make of this? I think certainly as we look at this, we have to begin by seeing the rebuke Paul gives to the Gentiles. Lest you be wise in your own conceit. I think in this statement we have a very great warning from Paul. Not to be wise in our own conceit. We can never think that we have everything figured out. We may count ourselves to be wise, but that doesn't mean that we're actually wise. We can certainly cannot be conceited in what we think is our own wisdom. We must acknowledge that there are many things that we don't know. We still have many whys that we are still asking today. There are some things that are simply mysteries to us. Some of these mysteries can be found in scripture. And so we're to go to scripture. We're to study scripture. And as we study scripture, those mysteries will be revealed to us. But some things even still remain a mystery. They are the things that are God's and God's alone. So we cannot become puffed up. We cannot become conceited. In our knowledge. But I don't claim to understand exactly what this looks like. What does it look like for the fullness of the Gentiles to come in and then all Israel to be saved? And I simply have to say, I'm not sure. I don't know. I know and I believe that it's true because it says it here. But I do know this. God has a plan. And his promises will not fail. He is bringing in a people to himself. And thanks be to God that he has brought me in. But he goes on, verse 28. As regards the gospel, they are enemies of God for your sake. Paul, as he brings the culmination of his argument, begins to make a slight shift. And he once again is speaking to the Gentiles. Gentiles, remember that they are enemies of God for your sake. But as regards election, They are beloved for the sake of the forefathers. There's a dichotomy here that Paul has set up. Israel is right now enemies, and yet they are right now beloved. Both are true of them. They are enemies of God for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. Again, this is not an individual election. This is a corporate election, I believe, that Paul is talking about here. 
they are still Israel, the people that God called out at Sinai. And there's still a love that he has for them. But they are made enemies for the sake of the Gentiles. They have failed to respond to the gospel. They have not received it by faith, yet they are beloved because of the patriarchs, not because of anything that they did, not because that they were great and wonderful, but because of the promises of God that were made to them. Despite Israel's rejection, they remain God's beloved. I love this next verse. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable or irrevocable, however you want to say it. I think when we say irrevocable, it gives us a sense. They cannot be taken back. The gifts and the calling of God cannot be be taken back. Why? Because God's promises are true. God does not withdraw his promises from us. When God says, I will do it, he will do it. There is a certainty. Then this is a wonderful, beautiful thing. It's, look, we've both been in the position of children and of parents, most of us as parents, and you know that time recently, we've been given a, a, a pass to the zoo. And I feel like every week, Josiah, on Monday, we're going to go to the zoo. And every week, something has come up. Our promises are not irrevocable. Because we are wrong at times. But if God tells you you're going to the zoo, you're going to the zoo. And if God says that you are his people, then you are his people. Promises of God, the gifts of God are irrevocable. The word of God has not failed. Even when Israel has not been faithful, God is faithful. Even when you are not faithful, God is faithful. God's continuing elective love of the Jews has been made manifest. And he reminds the Gentiles of their own disobedience just as you this verse 30 just as you were at one time disobedient to God but have now received mercy because their disobedience so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you they also may now receive mercy once again Paul tells us your faith is meant to make Israel jealous and turn to God. Yes, they, are, they now sit in your position. They are the ones who are disobedient. Their defeat and rejection means reconciliation for the world, but their disobedience is not the final word. They have stumbled but not fallen. The end result is that they might receive mercy. And this is where Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, levels the playing field. 
verse 32. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. He has consigned all to disobedience so that he might have mercy on all. That is a powerful statement. Have you ever been asked, why would God allow sin? For God has consigned all to disobedience that he might have mercy. This is a, a, we could unpack this one statement for a long time. But the reality is this, that God shows mercy to all. And again, this all here is not all every single person, is it? It's not every single person in this room. No, it's this corporate sense, just as we talk about Israel, and it's a corporate sense. It's both Gentile and and Israel. It's a corporate sense. He has shown his mercy, uh, as other places in Scripture say, to all nations, to all peoples. God is faithful. Even when we are not faithful. God's punishment has a redeeming purpose. He rejects, but in his rejection, he bestows mercy. I think we see a message of great encouragement here. Do you feel as if the gifts and promises of God are irrevocable? Do you live your life as if the promises of God are irrevocable? What does this mean? This means that there is nothing, nothing that can keep the gifts and promises of God from you. Nothing. No government, no organization, no person. God has his plan and God is sovereign and control of all things. And there is nothing that I can do that's going to keep God from doing what he's going to do. That means there is nothing you can do personally. There is no sin. There's no thing that you can do that is going to remove you from the love of God in Christ. Hasn't Paul said this to us? Nothing. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ. Nothing. If he has had mercy on you, then you are his. And we can be discouraged, can't we? We can look at our lives, we can look at our thoughts, we can look at our actions, and we can say, how can God save someone like me? There is no way that I am good enough and special enough to receive the promises of God. And this is true, right? 
you, like Israel, have been disobedient. You, like the Gentiles, have been disobedient. You have turned from God. You have sinned against him, but God has not abandoned you. He has given you his son. He has given you mercy. He has reconciled you from your sins. He has made you right before himself. So God will work in all people, including you, including me, according to his good pleasure. I think it's easy for us to look at ourselves, to look at the world around us, to look at everything that's going on and declare this. This is a wicked and sinful people and there is no hope for them and there is no hope for me. But brothers and sisters, there is always, always hope in God. For he is in control of all things. He is drawing all people to himself. He will have mercy on whomever he will have mercy. This is the wonder and the beauty of our salvation. And really it comes down to this. I I think the whole Paul's argument here comes down to this. You're not as smart as you think you are. You're not as smart as you think you are. Do not be wise in your own conceit. Come humbly before God. Come humbly before this world, knowing that you are not the authority of all things. You simply are not. But you have a God who is the authority of all things, who has given you gifts and promises that cannot be taken from you. He is in control. He is calling a people to himself from all nations. So come to him, rest secure in him. Because this is the problem of, of the Gentiles in Israel, wasn't it? You're puffed up in who you think you are now and you're puffed up in who you think you were. But God is dealing with both of you. In this great unfolding plan of redemptive history. So stop being concerned with who you think you are. And be concerned with who God is. The God who is sovereign and in control. Who has given you the gifts of his mercy. Who has given to you his very son. Next week, just a little taste. We're going to spend some time looking about how Paul responds to this. But just I just want to read it for you as a teaser for next week. Paul, after saying these things, responds in doxology. We've sung this doxology as our last hymn of the month. Oh, the depths and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him 
and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I think when Paul comes to his conclusion here, he cannot help but burst out in doxology. It is not me, it is God. And oh, how the depths and the riches of his wisdom, of the knowledge of God, I can't even understand it. I can't even understand his ways, but from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory. We get to unpack all of that next week, and I'm looking forward to that. But that is what Paul's point is here. Do not be puffed up in yourself. Do not think that you have cornered the market on the favor of God. You haven't. God has given to you his grace and mercy freely, and he will continue to give his mercy freely to ever who he will. Let us take comfort in the fact that his promises are secure, and let us be humbled so that we don't become puffed up in our own notion of our faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to a text like this, I acknowledge that there are parts of it that are hard. When we consider Israel and we consider your plan, even in in studying this, Lord, I I confess that I don't understand how it's all going to work out. I know that you're not done with Israel. I know that you have a plan for them. But Lord, thank you that I am not the end all be all of all things. Thank you that you have given us your gifts and your promises, and they are sure in Jesus Christ. Lord, would we as a people continue to rely and rest and trust on Jesus, our Savior? And would we find hope and comfort in him? We pray in his holy name. Amen.